Good morning, church. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And as Michael said this morning, we're going to start around verse 11. So if you want to turn to 1 Peter with me here. All right, so 1 Peter 2, verse 11. I'm going to start, we're going to read the whole, we're going to read verse 11 all the way through the end here together as we get started. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how, it, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, and now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's a pretty heavy passage. And, and in context, Peter's writing to the, to the believers who have been, and the Jews who have been in exile throughout all of, the, all of this land because when the Roman Empire came over, if you remember from the story of Pentecost, persecution comes into the world. And so the Christians are forced to scatter throughout all the land, throughout all these different places. And by being scattered, your guys' lights aren't on, are they? Can you turn the house up all the way? Make sure that that's all good. So, but by being, uh, there, whoa, I don't know what happened there. I didn't do that. Yeah, the other house lights. Hey, it's okay. You know, it's one of those kind of mornings. So anyway, but as we look and see how, how the God is trying to encourage his people, we write this. And, and this is a tough passage, even for those guys and even for us today, because you hear this idea of submitting to authority, of being able, I mean, there's a part in here where it says, slaves, if your masters beat you, do it for God's glory. These are not easy things that are here. And so as I was reading through this and looking through and the big idea that I came up with, and I promise that this will make a lot of sense by the time we get to the end, is simply this. Your big idea is your king is determined by your address. And I'll show you how that all ties together here by the time we get to the end. But your king is determined by your address. And, the, and where that starts to come from is out of the text here. And so what I want to do, I want to go through the text together and look at a couple of different ideas that start to come through. And when we get to the end... 
the things that Peter was asking are not so far off that it's just going to be a grin and bear it. I appreciated Dan in the past couple of weeks whenever he told us that God will never ask us to do anything that he will not be able to provide us the power to do. So he doesn't set the bar so high that you can never get it. It's not playing like monkey in the middle or keep away where, you know, you're playing with very young children and you're holding something up high and they have no chance of ever getting it. God says, yes, these things are tough. They're going to take more effort. They're going to be, they're going to be a burden sometimes. But if you focus on me, I'll help you through. And so the first thing I want to look at as we go through that is, there we go, is our actions speak. That's the, very first, that's the core thing of what Peter's doing is because starting even in verse 11, he's encouraging us to live differently. And so by living differently, he says, hey, you're going to cast a spotlight on yourself. You don't need to stand on a street corner or get a bullhorn. You don't need to have, be on television and say something different. Being in a world and living differently and acting differently people are going to notice. And I trust, you, trust me that the enemy does not like it whenever we do that. So here, the very first thing was here in verse 11. The very first thing that Peter starts out with, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from simple desires which wage war against your soul. Right from the beginning, in the world that they're in, in the world that these folks are living in, there are things going on around them that were, are completely contrary to the way that God asked us to live. From whatever is going to be going on in society, from things that are okay, you've probably heard the term, if it feels good, do it. Those kind of things are, if you don't do those things, if you say, oh, I don't go to those kind of shows, I don't listen to that kind of music, I don't go to those places, I don't do those things, I don't, I don't, I don't, even if you're saying you don't have to leave anything else in there, it will immediately start to bring people to come and question you and want to tell you why you're being prudish or that you're just being a stick in the mud or that, you know, hey, you're making people uncomfortable because you're not letting them act like they want to. Sorry. That's what we're called to. He said, it, so when we talk about this and it says that, that when we want to abstain from these sinful desires, this isn't just keep your eyes, up, you know, keep your eyes bouncing around or keep your thoughts here. It's everything around us because our flesh loves to be able to be a part of the world here. But instead, Peter's saying live differently. And even, even more in context, they're in completely different cultures. This isn't just their own culture. They're all throughout the world that Peter is doing this because if you go through the first part, it's almost like it was a chain letter. Like they start here and then this church would read it and then it would be sent over here to this church for encouragement and it would be read and then it would be sent to this church. And so all these different cultures, all these different setups are different that are in there. And that's why when the next part here in verse 13, Peter says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish wrongdoing and commend those who do right. So he's also saying obey the people that you're with. Obey the rulers. Obey these emperors. Obey these kings that are there. Well, hold on now. How do we do that? How do we do, how do you obey, how do you go into that? And so as Peter is, is reminding them, he's saying, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That's, what the, that's the most important part of that. It's for the Lord's sake. God's saying, when you're there, I'm not saying that you be that culture. 
Still be you, still be me, still follow me. But while you're there, you want to be a part of it. This is, if you think about it, this is Paul making tents for the tent. He said Paul was a tent maker. You know, one of the fun things I always like about that is that Paul made tents for everyone. That was the way that he was able to make, he was able to start to make bridges. He was able to earn an income. He was able to have things. He didn't say, oh, well, you have to look like this, act like this, say this, do the secret handshake, any of these things to get a tent from me. He's saying, be a part of, I will be a part of your, of your, of your economy. And with Peter here, he's encouraging the Christians to be a part of the government, to be a part of that world. So it starts to get kind of rocky here because how do we start to justify those two things together? Well, it gets worse. So in verse 17, if you read through verse 17, it says, show proper respect for everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor, honor the king. This is not easy stuff because Peter's saying respect everyone. And the love where he says, with the next line where he says, love the family of believers, that's that Greek word agape love. That's that unconditional love, the kind of love that God shows us. It's not you do this and so then I'll do this or I'll match you at the same level. This is that self-sacrificing love. But he also comes back and he says, honor the emperor, fear God. So there's a difference here. So you start to see there's a difference. You can show someone honor you can show someone respect, but you don't have to agree. You don't have to be in that. This happens in the workplace a lot. I'll tell people, I don't care if you like each other or not, but we need to be able to get along. You don't have to get together after before. You don't have to celebrate birthdays or anything. But while we're together, treat each other with respect. That's all we're asking for. And so Peter is in that same kind of thing. Like, look, the world around you is rough. It's not going to conform to the way that you think that things are. It's not even the way that you've been taught. But... Show honor, show respect, be different. Don't be like everybody else that's in there. And just to drive the point home, in verse 18, he says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Because it's easier to, to be kind to the people who are kind to you. He's saying no matter what, be there. And the word slaves here. There's no interpretation of that. These are, tra these are traditional, what you would think of as a slave. This is a conquered people, someone who was purchased, someone who was taken captive in a war and then brought back. But if they turn their hearts to Jesus, Peter is saying, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your master. And it was about right here where I was done with the whole passage. Because this is just, this begins to set up a different way of how in the world can you do that? I'm, I was telling my wife this week, it, my witness at my job, especially on Friday, it was not a gold star moment for Bill and his job. And thankfully, Christy doesn't, wasn't there, so she can't tell you all the things that happened. But it was not pretty, I'll say that. Um, I had to apologize to a lot of people, and they're like, oh no, it was justified. Nah, no, not the words. Not the way I was feeling. Not the things that were there. The different things that happen the way, when things come against you. Or, you know, I, there was another example that I heard when we, were, when we were on a retreat. They talk about whenever the world comes against you. And, these, and some of the guys were talking about uh, whenever you're driving and someone flies by you and they wave a finger at you because they're upset 
at what you're doing. And one of the guys that was with us said, well, I'll blow kisses at them so that I can share the love of Jesus. And one of the other guys said, I too will blow kisses, but I don't care about Jesus. I just know it's going to make them really mad. So you got two different ideas, these two different, these same actions with two different ideas. And the guy who said he blows kisses because of Jesus, he was 100% sincere. I've just, I won't react the same way that you bring to me that's in there. But the nice thing is, in verse 20, he says that it's for our credit if we receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. Because he says, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Wow. So at least the suffering that you have will be for God's glory. That's where all of this comes from. Because it's not easy. It's not easy to stand in, stand in opposition to the world. It's not easy to stand in opposition to the things that are around you. If you've ever been, we, you hear about peer pressure. If you've ever been in a group of people and you do something that's different and you stand out, it's very unlikely that the, the re- reactions of everyone else are going to go, Wow. Thanks a lot for standing up for that and making the rest of us feel different or awkward. We really appreciate that. That's not what's going to happen. Just watch your social media feed. Start lighting up with all these people saying these things about you. Watch the, the, the hate, the different, the different text messages, all these different things that happen. Or you just get alienated. Just suddenly you're, not, you're like, oh, I didn't know that was going on. Well, I didn't want this because the world doesn't want people around them that don't act like them, that aren't part of their world that's in there. But the encouragement is, as a Christian, your actions speak to all of those around you. As we've been talking through, what does it mean to evangelize? What does it mean to bring discipleship? What does it mean to live differently that's in there? And you can hear stories after stories from the workplace, from different places around of these great ways where people just by their actions begin to encourage and begin to change the culture around you. You don't have to do it with a stick. You can do it with just simply the way that you act and the way that you bring these things into the world around you through your words, through your actions, and just as importantly, through the things you don't say and the things that you don't do. And that's where Peter begins with this, with this passage here of looking at how do we, as Christians, interact with the world around us. But I told you our big idea is your king is determined by your address, and so these are just actions, so let me keep tying back into that big idea. Because the next thing that Peter brings to is he asks us to proclaim allegiance. He wants to separate out the difference between following God and following the rule of the land. Now, I like this word allegiance because I did this just for Michael. All three of my points start with an A. I've, there, see, there you go. So I already get a, already get a little extra level there. So I've got actions and allegiance. So with allegiance, you probably remember being back in school. You know, when, if I say allegiance, the first thing I always think of is the Pledge of Allegiance. We pledge allegiance to the flag. And the, but with doing that, we're not actually pledging to the cloth that's hanging there or those things. It's to the republic. It's to these things. If your kids or, or you went to a Christian school, they would sometimes pledge allegiance to the Christian flag, which I do not know that one off the top of my head. That's one of those I just mumble when everybody says it because somebody's saying it out loud and I'll just follow along with them. But the difference between allegiance and submission into the world is this. Here's what allegiance means. Allegiance means it's a being loyal. It's a loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior or of an individual to a group cause. Now, this is the dictionary definition. I don't normally talk like this. 
So the loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior. So there's a couple of different things that happen there. It automatically sets up that someone's here and someone else is here, and the person committing allegiance is the person that's here. It doesn't mean that they're lower class or worthless or anything like that. It's simply a rank. It's a hierarchy. And it's to a, and it's to a superior or a group cause. So it doesn't necessarily mean to a person. It means to this bigger group. I'm pledging my allegiance to this. Above all these things, this is where my allegiance will lie. And that's where Peter starts to bring us to so that these actions, because if the actions are simply just a behavior modification or something that you're just going to gut out and try to do, it's going to be really hard. And so Peter's reminding us, well, what if we did it as a group cause? What if it was a team effort and not just you that's in there? In 2 Peter, not the passage we're in now, but in 2 Peter, Peter even warns against this, this being able to, for other people vying for your allegiance. He goes through the whole package, uh, whole chapter of 2 Peter 2 is all about false teachers and false prophets and different people who are in. And there's a whole big passage that leads up to this line, this one verse. It says, they promise them freedom, and this is the false teachers, promise people freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so by acting different, by starting to guard your heart, by using the Bible as your worldview versus the world around you, you're going to start to change the way that you look at it. And so this being able to, be over, to not be overcome keeps you from being a slave. And so by pledging your allegiance to Christ, to God's plan, that's how we start to say, oh, okay, well, I'm doing this because I'm a follower of Christ, not just because this is what I'm trying to do. That's why in 1 Peter 2, again, back to that passage, that very start of our passage. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from simple desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see the good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Act differently. Your allegiance is still to God. It says through there that we're going to be doing these good deeds for God. But... We're still in the world. We still have to live. In verse, in verse 13, it says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority, whether the emperor as supreme authority or to his governors, the rulers, to the other people. In 1 Peter 2, down towards the end, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. So when he's doing this, he's saying, Remember who your allegiance is to. It's to Christ. Even under this thing of the slaves and masters, and depending on who you work for, you may feel like you're in that slaves and masters type of situation or just in the world around you in different places. But God is reminding us through the verses that Peter has written. He's saying, but I'm still your king. I'm still the one who's in charge. Do this for me in reverent fear for the Lord's sake, for these things. And it's not saying be fearful of God because you're what your master's doing. He's simply saying in awe, in wonder, that's what that fear word means. We don't have a really great translation of it, but it's more of this all. It's not like I'm so scared that if I get caught doing something wrong, God's going to punish me. It's because he is so holy and he's called us to this. And we've already talked about this amazing difference between the way the world wants you to act and the way the world system is put together and what God is calling us by this turning away from our sinful desires, turning from this. We have these two separate, completely different looks. And so we're trying to, trying to reconcile those two things together. And so it comes from who has your allegiance? 
That's where it's going to change because if your allegiance is to yourself, you're going to act like the world around you. That's why the very first thing starts off with turning away from simple desires, turning away from those things. Because it's easy to convince yourself of acting a certain way, thinking certain things, doing certain things, if you've only got you to talk to. If there's, because you can justify all kinds of great things that, that aren't so great. You could say, oh, it's okay this time because, or hey, no one got hurt, or those kind of things. Yes, if no one gets hurt, that's always a plus. But that does not mean it was okay. If things work out, it doesn't always mean it was the best choice. I mean, I, my children are in here, so I'm not going to go through all of my teenage things of things that happened where no one got hurt that still were not good choices. And so I can't tell you, oh, well, that was okay then, because I'll do it from that. Or, hey, no one got offended. Well, that is, it still doesn't mean it's not going to be the best thing in the world. And so are you going to put yourself there? Is your allegiance to yourself, or is it to someone else? Or maybe it's to other people. Maybe your allegiance is to other people. Maybe it's just easier to go along with the crowd. Maybe it's just easier to just kind of be pulled along. Well, I'll just do what they do. Whatever they, everybody's going over here, we're going to do that. Everybody's saying this, I'm going to say like this. Everybody's going and doing that, I'm going to do this. So is your allegiance with others? Or maybe it's just to the government, to your rulers. Maybe it's just easier to say, well, you know, I don't want to do this, but, you know, this is what the government says. This is what the rules say. And if you, if you read through 1 Peter, just to make sure, he says in here that don't use your Christianity as a way to be a lawbreaker and just live as you want and not obey the rules of the land. He actually says, submit to the authority that's there. But you're going to act differently than everybody else, and so it's going to stand against. And of course, our Sunday school answer is God, right? Who has our allegiance? God. But does he really that's where this really starts to get, where you really have to wrestle with. Is your allegiance really to God, or is it to God with an asterisk until it's too tough to, be, to have my allegiance go to God, and so then I'm going to swap it over? I'm just going to take a pause on that one. I'll do it like this, and then I'll come back over here. And it's tough. I get it. I get it. In the world around us, it's getting tougher and tougher. Things that Christians stand for are ridiculed and are turned away. They, they, we see laws. We see things on television. You see protests. You see all of these different things. And then you have other people who are trying to yell against that and to go in. It's, just, it's a mess of going through. And so when I read through this passage and I started looking at that, I said, well, God, well, how do we do this? Is, how, do we, how do we stand there? Because with each other, it's easy. It's easy here on a Sunday morning because we're, we all kind of have the same ideas. We all have, we have a lot of the same personality traits as far as like what we like and don't like and the things that we're for or not. But there's still some differences that are in there. So how does that all come in? And it simply is that your allegiance belongs to God and not anything or anyone else. And if you can start and remember that, then it makes these other things, this living differently, these actions, your actions are no longer just a behavior modification. They're an outpouring of the, because of our king, because of God. And so here's how that ties back into our big idea, is this. Is you've got to declare your citizenship. Where are you a citizen? And so when I looked up citizenship, I had not known that, oh, I thought I knew this, and maybe it was stuck in my head somewhere. So I went to the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services website. 
So, which this is a pretty humbling thing, at least whenever I read this. So whenever someone immigrates to the United States and actually becomes a citizen of the United States, they have this big oath ceremony, this big swearing in. This is what they, this is the pledge that they take. This is word for word from the government's website. So, I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, and that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and I take this obligation freely without mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. We didn't have to, or I, I don't know if all of you guys were born in the U.S. I was born in the U.S. I was a U.S. citizen. I never had to say this. I got it for free. I was born into it. But look at the way that when someone wants to come into our country, look how important we take it. We say, we declare that we are cutting ties with everything else, any other government, any, and I got to use the word potentate, the potentate, any of these other things. I'm cutting my ties. I'm cutting my allegiance to all of these things. And instead, I will be subjected to the government of the United States and that I will serve, as the law says, in all of these different capacities. And I will do this freely and do all these things. So help me God. That's amazing when you think about what citizenship is and what that looks like. And so the difference is, is that when we talk about citizenship, that's not immigration, so if you've, ever done, if you've ever done foreign travel, if you've ever traveled overseas, one of the things that happens, you get off the airplane or the boat or whatever it is, or if you, if you just drive north or south, you get out of your car, there's a place of immigration. You have to immigrate into the country you're visiting. And they, so usually there's, a, there's some people there and they'll check your, check your identity, they'll check your papers, make sure that your passport matches who you say they are. They'll ask you why you're coming in. Because they want to protect their country and, their, and what's going on there. They'll say, are you bringing anything dangerous? Are you going to do anything wrong while you're here? No. And so then they'll stamp, a, they'll stamp your passport or they'll give you a temporary pass that they'll say, okay, we'll let you stay here for a while. And then eventually you're going to have to leave. Now, while you're there in that foreign country, you are subject to that country's laws. Even if their laws are different than our laws, it does not matter because you are now in that country and so that you have immigrated in, and so you need to behave by their laws. You know, easy one. If you're in England, they drive on the wrong side of the road. They drive on the left-hand side of the road. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're American. I'm going to say it's the wrong side of the road. So, but they drive on the opposite side of the road. And so if I go, well, no, I'm in America. I drive on the right-hand side of the road. It's going to go bad real quick. And if the police show up or anybody show up, and I go, oh, but it's cool, I'm an American. We, are, we drive on the right-hand side of the road. They're not going to go, oh, well, Mr. Reynolds, that's all you had to say. Sure, it's our fault. We'll just all work around you. No, it's saying it to say, what that says is that while you're there, you're going to obey their laws. You're going to be under their authority. But the thing that's different is if there's suddenly a national draft, they go to war, any of those things, America's going to come and get you. 
They're going to say, get out. You're coming back. You're going to be able to get through the, through the different security, the different pieces that are there because you don't belong there. You're not a citizen of that country. You're an immigrant. I remember one of the times when I was in India, I did not realize that when I was leaving India that, part of not, I, that my passport was not going to be enough. I needed a boarding pass printed out. You know what I don't have with me in the back of a cab at 3 o'clock in the morning? Printer. Don't have one. And you know what the people at the gate were not going to take? Anything that wasn't a printed out piece of paper. Because me pulling it up on my phone or my computer was not as good. And so I asked this guy, I'm like, I'm in trouble, man. I need to get there. I don't have what I need, but I'm supposed to be. And they said, we got you. So I had an armed guard take me. And you want to talk about looking completely out of place. Full military guard, open carry, assault rifle, leading me through. Now, I knew that I was not supposed to be too far away from this guy because he's taking me through all these security checkpoints, all these things. You know how many other people walk around with their own armed guard through the airport? Nobody. Just me. But it was because I didn't belong there. They were trying to get me out. Not because they didn't like me, but they just said, this guy doesn't belong here. We need to get him out. We need to take him through all these pieces. That's the difference between being a citizen and being a foreigner, being a part in there. And in Hebrews, there's a great line here. This is Hebrews chapter 11. You'll often hear referred to as the all-star hall of fame for any of the Christian faith because it goes through all these great people. But look at this verse here in verse 13. It said, these people, who's talking about all these great people and all their great faith, having not received the things that were promised, which was the coming of Christ, the, the, the God showing his son and showing his mercy. He said, but these people, having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Strangers and exiles, you probably remember it because it was in that very first verse that we read today. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Foreigner, those are people that are out of their own country. They're in a foreign land. If you, that's why you say the foreigners. If you go to another country, oh, you're a foreigner because it's not your land. It's not where you live. You're there. Exile carries a little bit more weight with it. That's usually not necessarily by your own choice. It's either someone or something has happened that's caused you to go out. But either way, both of these words, foreigners and exiles, and I love that Peter wrote that because some of these people were by choice and some of them were by a choice that was made for them that they have been sent out. Peter's saying, as foreigners and exiles, live this way. I urge you, abstain as foreigners and exiles. And it's because, quite simply, that's where Peter's reminding you. Where's your citizenship? Is your citizenship in heaven with God or is it here on the earth? And that's a huge difference because being a foreigner in an exile and looking at our citizenship as in heaven, that is a completely different way of looking at your world, at your life around you versus saying that I'm in the world. In James chapter 4, he's got a very strong warning to us. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason? that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee for you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Where's your citizenship? Because it, where it needs to be is with Jesus. That's where your citizenship needs to be. Your home needs to be with Jesus. Your home needs to be with God. And so that's why when, for that big idea of your king is determined by your address. If you say, oh, I'm part of the world, your king can't be God because James and the God himself says that if you're a friend of the world, if that's where you're going to put your home, you're not with me. But how different does it make your life if you can really get your head wrapped around the way that this is not our home? This is not our address. This isn't where where we belong. We're here as foreigners and exiles. We're here in this world, this land around us that is not ours. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Because I got to tell you, if you look through the New Testament and you look through the Old Testament, you look and see this promise of salvation and this new heavens and new earth, it doesn't look like the world we live in now. There's no, there's no need for disagreements. It says the only time it mentions tears are where God is wiping away tears during the marriage supper that we'll celebrate with him. It talks about a whole different world. But man, is it different when you start thinking about, well, what if right now, instead of this being all I'm thinking about, my citizenship is there, I'm just here visiting because one day it changes. And so when you start thinking about, well, how did Peter ask the people to act with submitting to rulers and submitting to things? Whenever it talks about the way that masters treat you, the way that different people treat you, the way that you act as a person or in the world... But if you think about it, you're just here, you've just immigrated for a little bit. My citizenship is still there, but I'm here for right now. That's a completely different way of looking through. And I think that's why whenever Peter is writing this, it's an exhortation, it's an encouragement to the believers that are around the world. And so as we put this together, your actions will speak to the world around you. But the actions that you do, let those be in a reflection of your allegiance. And where your allegiance lies, that's determined by your address. So where's your address? Because that's what's going to determine who your king is. And so setting that makes the rest of this start to line up and starts to change the way because you're not just gutting it out anymore. You're not just trying to do a checklist. It's not a what do I do? It's not a flow chart. It's not a, it's not a T chart. It's not any of those things. It's simply a reflection of that. I still remember from Michael's sermon where he said, you know, we're BAMES. We just don't do things like that. You know, whenever I would go on a field trip with my, with my class, one of the things our teachers would always tell us, you guys are ambassadors. Act like it. And because you're wearing logo wear, you're doing all these other things, act like it. Act like you're an ambassador for us. And that's where Peter's encouraging us. So how do we put this into, into, into practice? What does it look like to put this idea of your king is determined by your address? Well, I found this. So let's turn can't into can. Yeah, I know it's silly. So there we go. All right, so our first one. Remember your actions are a testament to your king. That's the very first thing. So think about that as you're getting ready to react, as you're doing those things. Let that be in. Maybe it's going to be that it's, it's something that you're like, oh, I shouldn't do. But the other part about that is in verses 15, verses 19. Those are things where they say, as a group, encourage one another. If you go through something rough, no matter if it was good or bad, encourage one another around you. Be okay to share that with somebody. I'm struggling with this. Or man, this came up and I did this. I don't know if it was right. Or whatever it is, encourage one another. 
encouraged that, hey, you know, I know that you were standing out there. I saw what you did. I saw what you said. I saw where you were. I saw how you acted. Encourage one another in that so that you can build each other up. Secondly, God promises he's going to help us. So ask him. Quit thinking that you can do it all on your own. That's not what the purpose of this is. It's not just an exercise of like, well, you just failed because you weren't able to do that. So instead, be sure that you ask God. If your eyes are wandering, ask God for help. If your tongue is loose and it's hurting people, ask God for help. If you're pushed in a situation and you just don't know what to do, ask God for help. I went online and I found a prayer that, was, that I thought was really good. It said, Dear Lord, I dedicate myself to you completely. I give you my life, my work, and my heart. You're the Lord of all and me. That's a pretty humbling Grant me the grace to faithfully follow your every direction to the fullest extent possible. God, let me pour my heart to you. Let me give my heart to you. Let me follow you. Let my actions be a reflection of you in all things. And then finally, just as whenever we were all young, or we did with our own kids, commit your address to memory. As my kids were growing up, there were two things that we wanted to make sure that they learned. There were other things, but two big things that we wanted to make sure they learned. We wanted them to know our address in case they ever got lost so that they could get back home. And we wanted them to know our phone number, how to get a hold of us, if they could do it. And you would ask, you would ask, you would ask, you would ask, you would ask. So commit your address to memory. It's very simple. Is my address going to be with God or is it here on the earth? And if you start there, if you can start your day by remembering, God, I, this is not my home. My home is with you. Let me be that person. Let me commit my li- everything around you and my own life to you. It's a different way of starting. Now, I'm not saying it just greases the rails and everything goes super easy after that. Because the, the world does not like this. The enemy hates it. There will be attacks. There will be slings. There will be arrows that will come against you. But the thing that starts from, if you remember your address... The other great thing is, that's all your people too. Because as a country, as a group, as a, as, a, as a group of Christians, we encourage each other the world over. Because that is, who, that is the one that in this text, God says, love the brothers. Love the brotherhood. Honor these, show these people respect, these guys love. Remember that that team is around you. Because at the end of the day, where your address is, that's what's going to determine your king. And that's my prayer for you is to remember that with that, this is the gospel. This is why God said that he wants all of us to know our address. He did not plan on this being the end. This is not, the, this is not his plan. The world wasn't put together to act like this. In the beginning, Genesis 1, the world was perfect and beautiful, but sin came in, wrecked everything, and so then death comes into the world and the separation from God and all these horrible people. This was not God's plan. This is not the world that God had on the blueprint, but it's the one that happened. And so God said, but that's not good enough. I'm leaving, not leaving it there. That's why the encouragement comes at the end of this passage. Here's the, the example himself. He said, to, to this you were called because Christ himself suffered for you as an example that you should follow in his steps. And he committed no sin and no deceit was, his mouth, was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. 
Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Remembering that by his wounds, we have been healed. For all like sheep that have gone astray, but now we've returned to our shepherd and the overseer of our souls. By Christ's own example, if you want to talk about anyone who ever showed up in a situation where he was reviled because his actions looked and acted differently than everyone around him, it was Jesus. But he always remembered that his address was with his father, that God was the king, and that between now and then, we're just immigrants. This isn't our home. Would you pray with me? Father, we we thank you that you have given us a citizenship that is beyond anything that we can imagine, Lord. And we think of the day whenever we are called to you and we get to go back home and we get to rejoice and everything changes. But Lord, until then, the world is rough and the world does not follow the rules that you have made. Lord, that there is sin in the world, that there are other things in our own hearts and our own lives. Lord, let us be strong for you. King Jesus, we just pray that we will act in the manner that brings glory to you, Lord. That in submission to you, we will work in the world around us. And we, Holy Spirit, we ask for your wisdom and your guidance on what to say and what to do or not to say or not to do. But God, we ask that we just, as we close our eyes at the end of the day and open our eyes at the beginning of the morning, we remember whose we are because we are yours. And we ask, Lord, for your grace and your mercy throughout this world. And we pray this in your name. Amen.